Hey, true crime fans, welcome back. It's TJ, the weirdo with a beardo from Wings 93, with another episode of True Crime Tuesday, exploring true crimes and unsolved mysteries from across history and across the globe. This week, we dig back into history with True Crime Tuesday episode number 100, quite a milestone, with one of the most notorious events in U.S. history, the Salem Witch Trials. Now, in present day, we tend to think of ourselves as a civilized society, one of rules, law, science, decorum, respect, and social norms. Unlike the barbaric days gone by in our country's short history, our story begins all the way back in 1692 in colonial Massachusetts, which was inhabited by Puritans who fled the motherland of Great Britain in hopes of fleeing religious persecution. These devout Christians believed that the devil could give the ability to harm others in return for their loyalty. Those who possessed this ability were labeled as witches. Now, beginning as far back as the 1300s, even through the early 1600s, a witchcraft craze spread throughout Europe. Tens of thousands of people, mainly women, were alleged to have these witchly powers and were subsequently executed. But by the late 1600s, a war had broken out between the American colonists and the French Canadians during what would be called King William's War, named after King William III of England. The battles ravaged portions of upstate New York and the Canadian provinces of Nova Scotia and Quebec. The violence forced out residents who relocated to nearby villages, including Massachusetts Bay Colony and nearby Salem Town. And the arrival of these outsiders caused unrest, in particular, in Salem Town, whose locals were not very welcoming to the new refugees, whose presence put a strain on local resources, including agriculture and the available food supply. Residents began to believe that the internal squabbling was the work of the devil. Tensions continued to be further fueled by the town's new minister, Samuel Paris, who became Salem's first ordained minister in 1689, quickly earning a reputation for his rigid ways and greedy nature. Several years later, in 1692, Samuel Paris' daughter, 9-year-old Betty Paris, and an 11-year-old niece, Abigail Williams, began experiencing these fits, where they would have seizures, screaming uncontrollably, throwing items across the room, uttering strange sounds, and violently contorting their body into strange poses. They would also complain of the feeling of being pinched or pricked with pins. Another young girl in town, 12-year-old Ann Putnam Jr., began showing similar symptoms. Now, a local doctor, assumed to be William Griggs, blamed the girl's actions on the supernatural, some sort of black magic. And the girls soon claimed they'd been bewitched by three women in town, a homeless woman named Sarah Good, a poor older woman named Sarah Osborne, and Tituba a Caribbean woman enslaved by the Paris family. Beginning on March 1st of 1692, these women were interrogated for several days in front of the local magistrates. Two of the women claimed innocence, but Tituba confessed, saying the devil came to her and bid her to serve him. She then gave detailed accounts of seeing black dogs and red cats and yellow birds and a, quote, tall man with white hair who wanted her to sign his book. She also suggested there were other witches who wanted to destroy the Puritans. Now, Tichuba's confession sparked a flurry of accusations of witchcraft, which grew into a mass hysteria over the next several months. 
Soon, hundreds of people, mostly women, were being accused of witchcraft, including children as young as four years old. Charges were brought up against Martha Corey, a well-respected member of the community and a loyal member of the local church, which caused a great deal of concern for the townspeople because if Martha Corey could fall under the spell of the devil, anyone could. In May of 1692, Governor William Phipps established the special court of Oyer to hear and Terminer to decide. The court, ruled by Chief Justice William Stoughton, was designed to specifically rule on matters concerning witchcraft. The first trial was for Bridget Bishop, an older woman known throughout the town for her promiscuity and gossip. When asked if she'd been involved in any sort of witchcraft, she responded, I'm as innocent as the child unborn. But apparently, the court wasn't fully convinced. She was eventually found guilty of witchcraft, and on June 10, 1692, became the first person to be hanged on what became to be known as Gallows Hill. A month later, five more people were found guilty and hanged for allegedly witchly activities. In August, there were five more, and eight in September. As the death toll rose, another local minister, Cotton Mather, wrote a letter to the court of Oyer and Terminer, urging them to disallow the use of spectral evidence, a testimony in which witnesses could claim that the accused appeared to them in either a dream or a vision and somehow caused them harm, meaning there didn't need to be any physical interaction between them, because, as it was believed, witches could project themselves spiritually, using the devil's power, and could inflict pain and harm from a distance. The use of spectral evidence in court proceedings naturally led to hearsay and conjecture, rather than the use of actual facts in determining one's guilt or innocence. In October of 1693, Cotton Mather's father, Increase Mather, the then president of Harvard University, denounced the use of spectral evidence, saying that it were better if ten suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned. Soon after, Governor Phipps, whose own wife was suspected of witchcraft, outlawed the use of spectral evidence, which put an end to unwarranted arrests and led to the release of people being held under suspicion of witchcraft. But the news was bittersweet. Sweet for those who are now able to enjoy their newfound freedom, but bitter for the friends and families and loved ones of those who'd already been condemned to death. In total, over 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft, but only 20 of them were executed. 19 men and women hanged from the gallows at Gallows Hill, and another man, Giles Corey, pressed to death with heavy stones in September of 1692 for refusing to stand trial. Five others died in jail waiting for their day in court, bringing the death toll to 25. And contrary to popular belief, no one was ever burned at the stake during the Salem witch trials. That myth may have emerged from the European witch trials between the 15th and 18th centuries, where nearly 50,000 people were executed because of their supposed witchcraft. Those sentenced to death were usually hanged or beheaded before their bodies were burned to avoid any further black magic after death. Although some of them were forced to endure the extreme pain, suffering, and brutality of being burned alive. Finally, in May of 1693, Governor Phipps pardoned the remaining people being held in jail under suspicion of witchcraft, marking the official end of the witch hunt in Salem, Massachusetts. After the turn of the century in 1702, the court declared witch trials unlawful, and in 1711, authorities pardoned the accused and compensated their families with 600 British pounds in restitution. 
But it wasn't until 1957, over 250 years later, that the state of Massachusetts issued a formal resolution apologizing for the incidents of 1692 and 1693. However, for reasons unknown, one name was left off the list of official pardons, 22-year-old Elizabeth Johnson Jr. It wasn't until July of 2022, thanks to a successful plea by a class of 8th graders at North Andover Middle School, that Elizabeth Johnson Jr., the last convicted Salem witch whose name had yet to be cleared, was exonerated of any wrongdoing. 329 years later. And that is this week's True Crime Tuesday, episode number 100, The Salem Witch Trials. Join me each week for more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. We'll see you next time.